All right, we have an opportunity to do a couple of things now. One is if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, or you can uh, look ahead to uh, the screen in front of you and find the passage there as well. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 19, 16 to 26. And then also what we're going to do is we're going to continue on in what we call our catechetical series which if you're new here might sound like, well, that's kind of weird. What's a catechetical series? Well, basically what it is, it's a, a catechism is actually a historical document that churches across the denominational spectrum have used, at least historically, to provide summaries of the Christian faith and from which to learn from. Not only uh, our children, but uh, we as adults here uh, as well. And we're at what's called question answer four, of a catechetical statement dealing with the issue um, somewhat connected with this morning on the matter of love. This morning we looked at the importance of loving strangers, those who are unfamiliar to us, who God brings into our individual lives as well as into this church. And now we're going to be dealing with um, the fundamental motivating factor for us to live a life of faith and obedience before God. And that again is love. We're not going to be prompted to obey the Lord and to, to, to believe in the Lord unless, unless there's love in our hearts. And we're going to see the importance of that. So um, I want to read, first of all, from Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus addresses a wealthy young man. And I want you to notice how he dresses this young man's heart. And then we're going to confess together question and answer four of our, of our catechism. So Verse 16, behold, a man came up to him. Now, who's him? Jesus. And he said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what do I still lack? In other words, what am I missing? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then? Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now the story moves on. We're going to end it right at that point. I want to draw your attention to question answer four now. The question is this, what does the law of God require of us? Now, if you're here, uh, well, that was two weeks ago in the afternoon service, we, we, we looked at the question, how do we come to know our sin? And the answer is, the law of God tells me. Now, catechisms follow certain trains of thought, and this one does as well. So we know our sin 
and our disobedience by means of not evaluating ourselves but on basis of an objective standard, namely the law of God. The natural question then is, what does the law require of us? And let's say together, Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Think about that. For many, many years, decades, indeed centuries, Christians have been confessing these catechetical words, which actually come right out of the Bible, right? Matthew chapter 22. This is a reflection of what we call the summary of the law of God, that we are to love God with all our being and our neighbor as ourselves. We're going to look at the importance of something as simple as, as, as love. You know, as, as parents, when, when, we, when we train our children, I hope that we train our children at the very earliest of years the importance of loving the Lord. I hope from the earliest years of our children's lives, we, we want to cultivate this. We want to cultivate heart for the, for the Lord because the Lord is a personal God. You know, a lot of people just view, and I've worked with many people outside the faith who are coming to the Christian faith. Many people in the world just have this concept of God as this supreme deity out there who's, who's full of power and he controls everything in the world. That's their idea, but there's no personal understanding of God. When we raise our children in a Christian context, we want to cultivate in them a love for the Lord. That's why we teach them the Bible. That's how we teach them to pray. We teach them to put their hands together, women little, and you pray to God now because God is a personal God and you're his child and he will listen to you. And, you know, we put them to bed. We teach them little prayers, right? Because we want them to cultivate that relationship with God. It would be a terrible thing as a parent if, if we would simply teach our children, you know what, God is up in heaven and you need to obey which is true, they need to obey, we all need to obey. But you see, if, if you're really going to obey the Lord in the way that you need to, it first begins here. Otherwise, the faith just becomes a matter of rules and regulations. We want a heart of warmth toward God because when your heart is right, it's like in marriage, you know, when you're really in love, you really want to please your spouse, don't you? It's the same thing in our covenant with God, in our marriage with God. We want to, in every one of us, including our children, we want to cultivate a heart for the Lord because when that happens, then these, these commandments naturally come into place. What we find in our story here this morning uh, or uh, this afternoon with this, with this man is that Jesus is, I want you to notice that Jesus is addressing this man's heart. And he's, he's, he's getting at issues of the heart with this young man because Jesus can see something that, that we cannot see. He can look into the human heart and he can see what's missing. Now for the sake of time, let's get into the story. We, we, have, we, have this, we have this young man who the Bible says is rich. That's usually the first thing that comes out at us. He's a wealthy young man. You should think of an, a, a wealthy man being an older man, right? He's been working his whole life, maybe developing a business, whatever. No, he's young. Maybe he's inherited the money. We don't know. But he's wealthy. But what's interesting is that when you begin the story, this man is not only wealthy, 
but he's religious. He's not only rich, but he's religious. And why do I say he's religious? Because you notice the question that he poses to Jesus. What good must I do to receive eternal life, to enter into eternal life? A non-religious person wouldn't ask that kind of question. A non-religious person couldn't care less how he inherits eternal life because he probably doesn't even believe in eternal life. A non-religious person probably thinks, I die, I'm buried six feet in the ground or whatever, I'm cremated, and that's it. But this man has a spiritual disposition, at least a religious disposition. And so he asked Jesus, what good must I do? That's a religious question. Like a lot of people today who would say, I'm spiritual, but I just don't go to a church. Or I have a bit of religion in me, but I just don't belong to an institution of church. You know, they have kind of a low view church, right? And so there's a lot of people today, because God has sown eternity in their hearts, who, who have the idea that if I'm, and you've probably met people like this, and maybe you're like that here this, this afternoon, where you kind of go, I think the way that I go into eternal life or I get into the good graces of God is by being a good person. And that's why he asks Jesus the question, what good must I do? Jesus answers him. You get this question answering going back and forth. Jesus says, why do you ask what is good? There's only one who is good, namely God. Then Jesus follows up by saying this, if you want to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments. Now, if you know anything about the teachings of Jesus in the Christian faith, that's not what you're expecting from Jesus. We would expect Jesus to say, what good must you do? You can't do sufficient good. God demands perfection. You can't meet it. So what you really need to do is recognize your deficiencies, your sin, repent of that sin, and believe in me. That's what you would expect. But he doesn't. He says, if you want to enter into eternal life, you've got to keep the commandments. Why would he say that? I think in part what Jesus is doing, he's feeding this man's religion to bring him to the end of himself. So Jesus says, keep the commandments. And the man, you know, it's going back and forth. The man answers, uh, asks this, uh, or gives Jesus the answer, and he says, um, or he asks this question, he says, well, which ones? Jesus says, keep, all, keep the commandments, he says, which ones? And you expect Jesus to say, well, you've got to obey all the commandments. You know, as a way of basically saying to the man, you've got to keep all of them, but you're unable to do that, so you need to draw near to me. But he doesn't. How does Jesus respond to this man? Take a look at what he says here. Jesus said to him, you shall not, this is the ones you need to obey. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you grew up in the Christian faith, and you grew up with the Ten Commandments, you learn very early on that there's what we call two tables to the law. So the first set of commandments, first half of the commandments, deal with our obligations to God, and the second half of the commandments deal with our obligations to neighbor. And so you would expect Jesus, when this man asks, well, which ones do I have to keep? And Jesus says, well, you're going to need to keep all the commandments. You, ex you expect him to say you need to obey all the laws or at least all of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't even address the first part. He just addresses the second part with this man's obligation to the neighbor. Why? Because he knows that this man has a love problem not only with him, 
but especially toward his neighbor. I want you to obey these. And above all, what I want you to do is I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Because you know what? If you love your neighbor, you're going to fulfill the second table of the law toward your neighbor. Fundamentally, he's reaching his heart. I want you to love. And what's the man's response? He gets this with a lot of people. Um, they think that they're actually better than what they really are. And the man says, I've kept all these. Okay, so what's missing? What's lacking? And then Jesus really gets down into the dirt with this man. And he really peers into this man's heart. And, and Jesus is the type of person that you ever notice in his teaching, he requires us to do the hard thing, the most difficult thing. And he says, Jesus, if you want to be perfect, you want to be perfect, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then what you do is you come follow me. And we read that when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In other words, he had a lot of wealth, he had a lot of riches. Interesting regarding this young man. He's religious, but he, he lacks love, or he's defective in his love. He's misdirected in his Love, and then you go, what good is this religion? You know, um, in the ministry upon occasion, I have met people like this who I would call not necessarily spiritually alive, but they are religious. In other words, they're individuals who are quite attuned to rules and regulations and decency and good order. They like their eyes dotted. They like their T's crossed, and they like stability in the church, and it's all good when those things fall into place. And yet when you correspond with them and you interact with them, what you find is that there's something missing. There's something missing in the heart. It's not completely empty, but it's defective in the most important attribute that we should all share, and that is love. Jesus recognizes that in this rich young man's life. And again, so often, and it does come out in the fore here, we focus on his riches, but really the fundamental problem with this man was not that he was rich, but he was religious. He was defective in his love, and so things were not falling into place, and this is why he slowly walked away from Jesus because he didn't really want to give to the poor. Now, what's interesting also about the passage is that as you go on in it, Jesus, Jesus doesn't rip on this guy. He doesn't get into the face of this, young, this rich young man and say, what is your problem? Do you know what your problem is? I'll tell you what your problem is. Your riches are your idol. They have consumed you, and that's why you will not give to the poor. So do what I'm telling you to do, and just... Just give it all up and follow me and give it to your neighbor. You don't find that attitude in the Lord. In fact, what you find in Jesus actually is an expression of 
love for this man. You put the AV team, if you put on the, the gospel of Mark there, if you would. Let me read that. This is Mark's um, version of the story. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him. It's the same rich young man. And knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. You see how the details are a little bit different here? Because when you put the gospel writers together, some fill in details that the others chose to leave out. And he said to him, the young man said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, ripped into him? No. Loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow it's actually pretty beautiful here that, that Jesus not only teaches this young man about the need to love but what he does is he, he models love for this man if this man will not show love Jesus will show love to him to take him where he's at in order to bring him where he needs to be Jesus models that same love for us now, if you look at the story, you see that Jesus reaches out to this young man and he says, again, if you want to be perfect, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and come follow me. But as we've seen, this man couldn't do it. And, you know, as, as you look at a story like this, there's a reason why these kinds of stories are in the Bible because the, the intent of the scriptures is to help us see that 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 we are more like this wealthy young man than probably what we'd like to admit. Imagine, if you would, if um, you were wealthy. Maybe you are. Maybe, I assume most of us are not. Maybe we're middle class. We're pretty rich compared to most people in the world, but as far as our culture is concerned, pretty middle class. Imagine if you had $3 million in the bank. And imagine if Jesus came to you and he said, I want you to do the hard thing. I want you to take out the three million bucks out of your bank account. I want you to clean it out. I don't want you to leave a penny in there. And I want to have you give it to the Mennonite Central Committee. Or maybe uh, the Love Pathway Fund or the Love Abbotsford Fund of the church. Give all three million bucks away, and what I want you to do then is I want you to come follow me. Don't worry about where your next dollar is going to come from. What I want you to do is I want you just to leave everything behind, and I want you to come follow me. Now, put yourself in that position. How easy would that be for you to do that? I would dare say we'd realize, well, Jesus does require it of me, but I think... I think we'd probably start making up a few excuses, right? Okay, well, can I keep just a little bit? I need to live on that. I mean, really, you know, and uh, um, I'd, I'd be glad to give. If you really require me, you know, a million maybe, leave the two or three million and, uh, you know, the, the other two million in place, maybe, you know. You see, Jesus requires everything. And what he's really requiring of this rich young ruler is basically death to self. But this man was unwilling. 
And you notice in the story, when the young man heard this from Jesus, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I want you to think about something. Um, although the text is not clear, it could very well be that this man also went away sorrowful because he knew deep down in his heart that Jesus was right. But he simply could not, would not give it up. I want to end with a simple thought. How easy it is in the Christian life to be religious but loveless. How easy it is to abide by certain rules and regulations while at the same time being defective in love. Or maybe think about this. How easy it is to love but to love the wrong things or to love in a wrong way. Now you think about this. This man, in a sense, maybe we would say he was not loveless but he, he was in love with the wrong things. Obviously, he was in love more with his riches than Jesus. He was more in love with his riches than he was his neighbor. Ultimately, he was in love with himself more than he was in love with Jesus and his neighbor. And isn't this what sin ultimately is? Is not sin ultimately a reflection of perverted or misdirected love. Think about that. And we'll talk about this during discussion time too. If, if you and I loved the Lord and we loved our poor neighbor in a proper way, I think we would find is regarding the Ten Commandments, while we would never obey them perfectly, I think we'd be more consistent in fulfilling the obligations of the first table of the law and the second table of the law if this is in the right place. But if it's not, we find, we find ourselves tripping over each other, tripping over ourselves time and time again. It's all a matter of the heart, issues of perverted love. And where does perverted love Misdirected love lead us. There's a wonderful and perceptive quote by a man named Tim Keller, if you'll put that on the screen, please. He, he writes this, Sin is building your life's meaning on anything more than God. I often refer to Augustine's description of sin.